The FT. Hello, I'm Tim Harford, the Financial Times' undercover economist. Now, where do good ideas come from? It's a question many of us would love to be able to answer, and it's also the title of Stephen Johnson's new book. Stephen's the author of Everything Bad is Good for You, The Ghost Map, and several other popular and well-reviewed non-fiction books. He's also an internet entrepreneur, and he's made the trip all the way over from Brooklyn to speak to us today. Stephen, welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you. So where do good ideas come from? They come from crowds. They come from networks, right? We have this kind of cliche of the lone genius with the eureka moment who's sitting alone somewhere and staring at an apple falling from a tree and suddenly they have a theory of gravity. But in fact, what happens when you go back and you look at the kind of historical record for these things, it turns out that when people are around other people, other minds, when they're colliding with other ideas, when they're colliding with people working on totally different fields, those environments tend to be the ones that actually end up being more innovative, more creative. I was very struck by this claim in your book, because there is also this this alternative school of thought. And let's not romanticize the, the lone genius, but right. you know, the idea of, say, the skunk works, yeah. that you, you set up this elite team of people uh, and you, you hide them away f- from the mainstream where their ideas can't be crushed uh, yeah. and you, you protect their, their originality. Are we just talking about different things here or, or is that actually a myth that these things rarely work? No, I think, you know, in some ways, one of the people who read the book in draft form is Ray Ozzie, who just left Microsoft. And one of the things that Ray said when he, when he read the book was he said, in my experience, there are really kind of two kinds of innovation. W- one is the kind of emergent innovation where you, you come across a great idea that you had no idea you were even looking for. And then there's the very directed, focused innovation, which is we have to solve this particular problem. We know exactly what we're trying to do. In a sense, what Ray was saying, and I think this is right, is that I've written a book about the first kind. This is a book about kind of having creative ideas that, uh, you know, kind of surprise you and take you in new directions. John Gapper, when he reviewed your book for the Financial Times, said the book really sort of lives its own premise in that there are lots and lots of lovely thoughts and and ideas and concepts (laughs) and stories bumping along together and sitting in in, more or less in in harmony. One one of the ones I really enjoyed was this idea of the the, the commonplace book, which I'd never heard of. So tell us about that. Well, the commonplace book was this very important and intellectual tool that defined a lot of kind of important Enlightenment era thinking, um, people would keep these books where they would transcribe passages from books that they found influential. But the crucial thing about it is they would go back and reread these commonplace books, and their their intellectual identity would be kind of formed by the the kind of revisiting of all these quotes from other books, from other sources, from other minds, and their sense of self, their sense of kind of perspective on the world would come out of the interaction between all these different ideas that they'd curated. It's a beautiful kind of concept, and I think we now have an opportunity to to do the commonplace book again now that we have all this digital text available to us, now that we have books be- becoming increasingly digital. One of the things that I do is I keep this file where I write down every little kind of half-baked hunch that I have about anything. And I keep it all in one file. I've kept this one file for six years now. And I don't compartmentalized. I don't classify things. I don't have folders for different kinds of ideas because that keeps them from kind of colliding with each other in interesting ways. But the big thing I do is every three months or so, I try and go back and reread the entire thing because, you know, another theme of the book is this idea of the slow hunch that that good ideas often take long periods of time to kind of incubate and, and become interesting. And so if you go back and reread these documents, what you often find is that the idea you had in 2007 that didn't make any sense in 2007 Three years later, because of something that's changed in your life or in the technology world or in, you know, just somebody you've met, 
suddenly that idea is really useful. You write a lot about uh, evolution uh, and evolution I mean, it's more than a metaphor in the idea it's a right. very very important idea that ideas evolve uh, and if you want to understand how ideas evolve you need to look at how evolution works full stop so uh, so you talk about evolutionary concepts such as exaption and, yeah. and the adjacent possibles tell us about that on some level you have to be careful because cultural evolution is Lamarckian not Darwinian in some ways that you know that in the sense that you know Lamarck before Darwin came along had this idea that the the giraffe would kind of stretch its neck reaching for the trees and then pass that elongated neck down directly to his ancestors now his descendants you know we know that that's not the case that it that it actually is a more oblique way but in culture you can't actually do that you can kind of stretch your neck and pass it on directly to the next generation but there are a lot of useful analogies acceptation is a really good example because acceptation is is a situation it's a term coined by Stephen Jay Gould and Elizabeth Verba the idea is that basically there are all these traits and features in in biology that evolved originally for one purpose that turn out to be really useful at something else when the environment for the organism changes, mostly. Feathers to Feather, keep warm. Yeah, feathers evolved to keep warm, and then some of these feather-possessing organisms decided to try this crazy new lifestyle choice of flying, and it turned out the ones that had feathers were better at it, and so then feathers begin to have this impact on, on flight. And it turns out the history of technology and science and culture is, is replete with acceptation. In the book, I talk about Gutenberg, Gutenberg had done all this amazing work with metal type and with inks, but he really didn't have a printing press mechanism. And so he goes, he's like kind of stuck on this problem. And so he goes off into the hills of Rhineland, Germany, because it's wine harvesting season, grape harvesting season. And so he drinks a bunch of wine and he's up there and he sees this ancient technology of the screw press, which had been around for thousands of years to press grapes. And he looks at it and he says, ah, that's what I need. And he, so he borrows this very old technology, ports it over, remixes it kind of to fit his needs and turns, you know, an engine for, for making wine into an engine for printing Bibles. Uh, Gutenberg always gets mentioned in a sort of new technology books. He's a sort of yeah, a yeah, folk, yeah. folk right. hero, <laughs> uh, movable type, all of this stuff. But one thing that people don't mention about Gutenberg is he, he went bankrupt. Basically, the Gutenberg Bible was commercially a complete flop yeah. uh, and drove him out of business. That doesn't alter the fact that his invention changed the world. But you emphasize the importance of failure. And yeah. I, I found that very interesting. And, and of course, failure has a leading role in the way evolution works. It's the survival of the fittest. In other words, death to the less fit. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, that's a, a slightly sobering message for people reading your book who maybe they're managers at a, at a company or maybe they want to start their own startup. And you're basically saying, it's kind of random. It's evolutionary. <laughs> there's a lot of failure. Right. Um, have a go. Hopefully you'll succeed, but you'll probably fail. I mean, is that is that too gloomy a view? No, uh, it, but it, it is tricky. I mean, in the other way in which failure works in evolution is transcription of DNA. So it's mutations that lead to innovations. Um, and so the, the DNA's inability to successfully copy itself is is the avenue. The problem is that 99% of those mutations end up killing the organism, right? It's yeah. that 1% or fra fraction of 1% that actually leads to a useful new element. And so it's very hard to go to your boss and say, I'm going to fail 99.9% .9 of the time at all these tasks. But that you know fraction of 1% is going to be really great. But I think you know the, the way to use failure, I think, is there's a I think a very helpful kind of mantra that's come out of the web startup world, which is fail faster. And and I think that's a good way to think about it. It's, it's to say one 
some level of kind of failure when you're exploring new possibilities is inevitable. And in many cases, those failures will point you in new directions. They take you out of your kind of conventional habitual assumptions about what you're doing or what your goals are, and they open up new avenues to explore. So they can be generative in the way that I talk about in the book. But failure can't be your goal. That's not, that's not, that's not a good idea. And so the idea is to embrace failure, recognize it's going to be there, but just do it faster. You know, When you realize you've gone down the wrong – don't spend a year – following through on that error you made. The startup's goal is not to start with something clearly defined. It's to explore the possibility space of things that this company could be good at and how they could support it. And there's an implicit kind of opening or openness to failure that you have to have in that at least initial stage of a company. You write about all these different ideas that have developed over human history in your book. Was there, was there a particular idea, a particular innovation that really grabbed you and you thought that that particular one, that's the one that stands out for me. Well, you know, in a way, I think the, the one that I think is most inspiring, in part because it was kind of a failure, is, is Charles Babbage and the, and the analytical engine, which was the incredible Victorian computer that Babbage failed to build. I find that story so amazing because it is so rare that you see somebody who truly does leap ahead a century almost, as as Babbage did. He was trying to build a steam-powered computer, and it just turns out to be impossible to build a steam-powered computer. And in fact, it was such a failure that, that his ideas had to be kind of independently rediscovered 70 or 80 years later when they actually got around to making real computers um, because he was just so far ahead of its time. But I but I do, I, I find that story just kind of mesmerizing. Stephen Johnson, the author of Where Do Good Ideas Come From? Thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.